Welcome back. Welcome to the Florida Trail Runners Podcast. This is going to be episode number one of something special. And let me tell you, every once in a while, I'm going to be doing, you know, a different series or an episode with an author or a scientist or maybe someone, someone local here in Florida or, you know, have lived in Florida. So this is going to be number one of the author series. If there's anything I love, it's a good book. And here's one with an author you may have actually seen out at the Kroom Zoom, Laurel Slick. She's also the sister of Alicia Slick. She now has a book out and it's called, Did Anyone Tell You This Was Going To Be Easy? And honestly, it is a great memoir on how running kept Laurel moving through all sorts of hardships, situations, and all the things she's overcome, that running, the fundamentals, that foundation has really carried over her entire lifetime. So let's kick it off with Laurel. All right, there we go. Hi. First off, congrats on the book. Thank you very much. It's a lot of effort that went into it. So I appreciate that every time I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I've seen a lot of people sharing it on Facebook and, and you're, you're getting the reviews on Amazon rolling in. I am starting to, yeah, and it's uh, every one that I read is I keep hearing how people relate to different parts of it, and no matter how different we might be and wh- where we are in our lives now, um, it seems like a lot of people are relating specifically to different parts, so it's cool to read that every time I hear it. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. So, of course, the book is called, Did Anyone Tell You This Was Going to Be Easy?, so Laurel, how about uh, how about we go into a little bit about yourself and a little bit about you? Okay, great. Yeah, I would love to start with that. So, um, well, to start with, the book is a memoir, and it's really about how um, running has been the constant in my life, regardless of whatever else <laughs> was going on. And if you read the book, you'll see that there's been a lot of various struggles along the way. Um, But throughout all that, running was a constant. It was always my go-to, and it was always the thing that kind of gave me that sense of peace and equanimity, and I could rely on it no matter how bad of a day or how good of a day I was having to just give me that sense of internal peace and structure that um, I needed. So when I started working on the book, I was actually pregnant with my second son, and I made a goal for myself to run a 1,000 miles during that pregnancy. So I came up with the idea of of a book called The Thousand Mile Pregnancy that would be all of the stories um, of where running had got me up until that point. And it would kind of culminate with the birth of him, my son, and the family that um, was a result of that. But then I had had journaled, I'd written some pieces of it here and there over time. Um, But after he was born and there were many other (laughs) life occurrences that happened in probably the, you know, five or six years after he was born, um, I realized that my story was a lot longer than that. And there was going to be a lot more to tell than just ending with that pregnancy. So I kept working on it just slowly but surely journaling, writing here and there. Um, And then finally in, I'd say probably December of 2019, just before the pandemic started, um, I realized I really want to put this all together and I think it'll be a good legacy for my kids to have. 
and just one record all in one place rather than these old spiral bound notebooks that I've been carrying around with me for, <laughs> you know, 10, 15 years. Um, so I started compiling it. And the more I wrote, the more I realized, I think this is going to have a bigger impact than just on my kids. And so that's when it really became an idea of a book that I would share more than with my offspring and immediate family. Yeah, because I know for me reading it, I definitely have related to a lot of stuff from running and some of the personal stuff. But I guess first, how many iterations of this text did you end up having to do? <laughs> that is a great question. So um, my first goal when I decided that I wanted to put it all together was to transcribe everything that was in the journals into one cohesive piece <laughs> that got me as far as I had journals through. So at first, it was just transcription, getting it uh, from journals into a Word document. And then I had to work on, you know, up from the point that the journals ended up until I wanted the story to end, um, coming up with the rest of the content for that. And I realized after I got it all into one document that the voice that I used to write had changed over the span of time that it that the book uh, comprises and several things just about me and the way I write had changed. So I really had to go back through then start to finish and make it sound like it was written by one person and bring it to the same, same tone, same use of words. Um, so that was two versions to start with one, you know, just getting it all written and then going back through and making it a homogenous voice. And then I probably did two more edits myself where I just wanted to read through start to finish um, and make sure the story made sense um, and then I hired an editor who went through it and she's like, this is still really more of a record than a story. You know, keep in mind your readers are, even though it's a memoir, it needs to be a story to your readers and it has to sound like that. Um, so one more iteration with her edits um, and then a final kind of read through and, and had a couple of other people read that last close to done version. So I'd say total once the content was all together, there were probably five or six versions that were just getting closer and closer. Yeah, because there's always those, you know, the nuances in writing, like the flow, using the right tense, because like, uh -huh. you know, past perfect, perfect, and present. Right. And <laughs> yeah. When you were actually putting everything together, did you find anything new about yourself or find out like, oh, you know what? Like, yes. Yeah, I definitely did and that was um it was sort of difficult to do some of that work because you know just a, as a little bit of a spoiler there's um a lot of loss that happens in the book um to babies and my brother and so i had gone through the grief of those things as they happen but also had to go on with real life uh so to go back and write those things into the book was like going through the experiences again um, so I spent days in putting it together in the editing that I just really needed time to process, go for some good long runs all, all by myself and um, get back to the point that I, I felt okay with it again. It was very cathartic to get it written down. And I, I guess what I learned about myself is that when we deal with grief, a lot of times we're only dealing with a part of it and not the depth of it. And there's a lot of different ways that the depth of it can come out. And writing is one of those ways. Um, so that happened for me several times. Yeah, because I know you mentioned 
with the babies and some loss that's right in the beginning of the book and that's yep. one of the first things when i was just picking it up and starting i was like whoa you know when you're looking back there's a lot of things that like affect us that maybe we thought was major back then mm-hmm. but really wasn't major mm-hmm. in the present or things that were major and definitely defined us all the way through mm-hmm. and then also some things that were we probably didn't even realize that right. made such an impact and to current day that's the kind of thing that like huh you know that little tiny moment was something that affected me did yeah. you learn and find more of that kind of stuff when you were writing yeah for sure um and i what i realized kind of in that regard as i was writing especially was where a particular person had come into my life at just the right moment to help me through whatever the next thing was going to be. Um, I realized just so many people, I, I, at a few points I refer to them as angels in the book because they really, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time what a significant impact they made sometimes by a very small gesture. But as I went back and looked I it felt like, Oh my gosh, that was a huge thing that I didn't even realize until it was retrospective that they helped me get to some other point or, or to a new on the path to a new version of myself or something like that. Yeah. Cause I know with Okinawa, you had uh, Mr. Dawson mm-hmm. as your coach. And I guess we can kind of lead into um, kind of your running background and yeah. where that running all started. Yeah. That's <laughs> we, yeah, we can definitely start with that. So Mr. Dawson was my high school cross country coach, my freshman year. And he was, just one of the most peaceful humans I've ever known and so encouraging and just like this soft voice of encouragement um, throughout my whole freshman year of running in, in Okinawa. And when I, from the time that I started running cross country up until now, till this point in my life, um, I haven't really taken any long breaks from it. I've been fortunate to not have any serious injuries or setbacks that have held me away from it but it was really his presence which just happened to be at a picnic that we were at before the school year started where I met him and he invited me to come out for cross country that pushed me in that that whole direction towards running which has you know changed my life so positively and significantly uh, forever and always I hope. (laughs) I know with running over there in like Japan and in Asia you have Mm -hmm. the all pacific championships. Mm Mm-hmm. How does that compare to like here in the States? Well, that was, it's interesting when I think back on something that's that far away, I'm a long way away from my freshman year in high school, but it was so cool to be a, you know, a freshman, an early teenager and be able to travel. We traveled from Okinawa to Korea um, for that championship and to have like that freedom and independence, but still have the team feel and to be doing this significant thing, this international race um, as a you know, 14 year old or whatever I was, it felt so big to me at the time. And I, I think I realized already then how, you know, that we can do hard things and things that we might not have thought we were capable of, you know, up until that season, which was just a few months long, I, um, had never run more than a couple miles. I'd always played soccer, but to think that I would have been in an international championship a few months later, I never would have. <laughs> had that thought enter my brain and then there I was and we got to go to the DMZ and tour Seoul and um, it was just a really impactful 
trip for me to be able to do as a young teenager. Yeah, because then, then you also moved over to Germany mm-hmm. as well. Yep. So the move to Germany was the next year. And when I'd been in Okinawa, a lot of the running that we did was um, paved roads around uh, bases and some, you know, sidewalks and <laughs> lots of pavement and asphalt. And then uh, when I got to Germany, almost all of our runs were in these beautiful protected trails um, throughout the whole network of forests that's all connected in Germany by trails. Uh, so it was this whole new world of running to me. In Okinawa, it had been more pushing myself, learning to build that endurance and being able to complete the events. But when I got to Germany and started running, I realized how easily I could be transported into this whole other world of forest and trail running. Um, And that had another significant (laughs) impact on my relationship with running and what it would do for me mentally to be able to have that as a respite and, and kind of escape at times. And of course, I guess the same question does kind of go, how was Eurocross versus, versus like Asian as well as like American cross country? Yes, that's a great question too. Uh, so all of our championships in Europe were on uh, more of those protected trails. So totally different um, terrain, elevation, that kind of thing from what we'd had in Okinawa and Asia. Um, and then... From there, when I started running in Florida, I moved to Florida for college um, after, right after high school. Uh, So I lived first in Panama City when I moved to Florida, and that was also mostly sidewalk and asphalt and kind of similar climate to what Okinawa was. So felt like it was back to that. And then uh, for my last year of college, I transferred to Florida State or last couple years. And I ran in Tallahassee, got to know some of the trails around there. And then it was sort of a hybrid between like <laughs> what I'd had in Okinawa and Germany, because there were a few trails I could get to pretty easily. And then I r- ended up running cross country for Florida State uh, for just one semester. And all of our races for Florida State cross country were on um, manicured, <laughs> groomed golf courses. So that was another change because golf course <laughs> running it was, of course, different from sidewalks and trails. So uh, yeah, lots of different experiences of racing surfaces and events and atmospheres and all that. Yeah, because I know your cross is very, that's like true, real cross country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely some differences. Yeah, there were some (laughs) trails in Germany that were so steep, they were, you know, just unrunnable. And they're nice trails, or they're not really, you know, water crossings, or the really technical um but definitely lots of elevation change and you know just the the rocky dirt type trail yeah that's what i noticed with at least with the midwest yeah we ha- we have some pretty decent cross country courses at least i mean one of them went around a cornfield i don't know about that one but <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised there was only one <laughs> going around a cornfield <laughs> oh yeah i know but i know so mr dawson taught you how to run and mm-hmm. mr kohler taught you how to kind of believe in you know trust the process believe in yourself believe in the training how how has that affected you like kind of later on now in life that is a great question i i think between both of them so mr cole i don't know if i said it earlier but he was my coach once i got to germany um so between the 
two of them, they really instilled in me both the drive and the desire to keep going. That was the Mr. Dawson contribution. And then for Mr. Kolar, he, he just had so many approaches to the power of the mind in running and life in general that being able to combine those two perspectives, I think is a large part of what's given me the ability to both persevere and to use running as that constant steady go-to <laughs> needed as whatever I've needed it for throughout everything that's that's happened. Yeah, I think it's interesting those like foundational things that we learn like back mm-hmm. in like high school cross country. You you kind of don't even realize it until like later when you're an adult like wow, wait a minute. Those were kind of those like fundamental building blocks for me. Right. Well, yeah, if you think, you know, a habit takes a couple of weeks or 20 days to really get ingrained and then you think about doing something five to six days a week every single day as a teenager where you're really in those formative mental and physical years and no wonder it's become a habit I stuck to forever yeah moving over toward I guess college at FSU so you Mm -hmm. only ran one semester yeah what was kind of the reason behind that yeah so when I graduated from high school I really I thought of myself more as a soccer player than a runner um and I was kind of slow maybe for for a high school runner. I was running about 25-minute 5Ks. Um, and then when I moved to Florida to start with, um, I lost a little bit of weight. I started getting a little bit faster just incrementally. Um, little by little, I you know got down to 24-minute 5Ks and then 23-minute 5Ks. And um, slowly as I started to see that those times go down, I got the idea in my head that, you know, maybe I could be fast enough to actually run college cross country. Um, and there were other life things that were happening too. So I'd been in a, a relationship that was not healthy at all um, and was verbally abusive, sometimes physically abusive. And so running really became um, an escape for me and like the one thing that I could do that just belonged just to me. Um, so going through all that emotional turmoil, seeing myself get faster. Um, And then when I finally got out of that relationship and I was running around 21 minute 5Ks, I had the freedom and the strength to really consider, could I run division one cross country? Uh, So I started talking to the college coach and he said, yeah, you know, come out, give it a try. He gave me the summer training plan and, um, so in the fall of that year, I walked on to the team and was able to just barely, but I was able to hang with those girls. <laughs> and so, yeah, I got a, got a semester of college cross country in, and it was the most physically demanding thing I have ever done in my life to date, for sure. It was, um, took all of my energy and every ounce of everything that I had to run those. We, we typically ran about 70 miles a week. Um, And prior to that, for me, I'd probably been running 40 to 50. So it was a big jump up. Um, And yeah, it was, it was a tough thing to to do. Yes. I know in your book that you mentioned, you know, like the body figure of a lot of these girls running in college was definitely like something that like a new concept or like, well, maybe if I'm like that, then, you know, that yes. type of thing. 
Yeah. So I definitely had some body image issues at that point, which I think are made pretty clear in the book. But when I started running, a lot of those, the girls or women on the team were just, they're naturally very small bones, small figures. A couple of them, as I mentioned in the book, could put their fingers around their ankles. (laughs) They were just really, really tiny. And it so happened for our team at Florida State, I think it was probably pretty typical um, at a lot of schools that the smaller the runner, the the faster they were. And you could kind of line us up in by size and pretty much get our finishing order. Um, so I definitely wanted to get myself smaller. I was never told to by a coach or anything like that. I know some women um, who run college cross country or competitive runners are specifically told by coaches that they need to lose weight. I did not have that experience. But I wanted to for myself because I thought, you know, the smaller I got, the faster I would be, at least on some level. I I know I was thinking that. Um, So I restricted my diet when I probably should have been eating as much as I absolutely could to maintain that kind of mileage. And, yeah, I dropped um, about 15 pounds during the season itself. Uh, So over just that three or four month period and um, got to a pretty unhealthy body weight. I got a lot faster as a byproduct of that, but it wasn't something that my body could sustain. Yeah, because that's one thing with me running in college. I've seen that with teammates. I've seen that with other Mm -hmm. programs. I think, you know, sometimes it's just something that a lot of, I don't know if it's pressure, but a lot of college athletes kind of get maybe pre-pressured or the culture of it just happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I've been seeing a lot more recently, especially in the past like five years um, about women runners, especially who are pushing back against that. And it's inspiring to me every time I see um, runners who just aren't willing to accord to that typical (laughs) fingers around ankles body type and are still showing that they can be just as successful and just as fast, if not faster, despite um, not being unhealthily small. So it's it's refreshing to see that there's been at least the beginning of a shift, if not. Um, so with that, with cross country, when did you finally start going toward like the trail and ultra ultra running? That didn't happen till a lot later. Um, I had done run a couple of marathons um, around that time. I'd run, I ran one before I ran college cross country. And then... Um, or maybe two. And then after that, I'd run one or two a year. Most of the time I'd I'd train pretty well for them. I never had a ton of success. I think my marathon PRs, uh, like a 337, 338. So, you know, pretty, pretty middle of the road for marathon running. Um, And it wasn't until I guess about five years ago that I started venturing into the ultra world. And I think I I put a lot of pressure on myself in racing 5Ks and half marathons and marathons. And my first transition into the first 50K that I did, I immediately realized that it's a whole different world of the pressures. Unless you're elite, (laughs) the pressure is off of your time. And it's all about completion and making sure that you're fueled enough to get across the finish line and even when you only jump up from a marathon to a 50 K, which is, you know, a five mile difference, there's already a change in the mentality and the approach to running it and completing it. Um, and I really appreciated that. And so, yeah, for the last five years, um, I've been more in the ultra space and the trail space and I'm not racing all that frequently. 
Um, but when I do, that's what I gravitate towards. And I really just love the, let's just go out and get this done and we'll walk if we have to, but we're going to enjoy the day, enjoy the time on the trails. And that's what it is. It's not that all out um, race against the clock and race against the competitors that the shorter distance were for me. Yeah, because I remember seeing in there, I think it was the Hills Dragon 18 miler. That's kind of uh -huh. one of the first ones. Yeah, so that was that was not a that wasn't an ultra. That one was uh, an 18 miler, I think. Um, and so that was one I was still living in Florida. That was leading up to my first marathon. Um, yeah, great events in sunny hills, Florida. I don't know that for sure that they still run it. I hope they do because it's a really cool race and lots of good people, good food, uh, really unique prizes. They did like hand sculptured dragons i think the couple years that i did it and it's yeah it's a fun event if it's still going on i would highly recommend it to anybody um i <laughs> so the first year i ran it was the longest i'd ever run in the history of my life and then i think years later i came back i think it was actually during the season that i ran cross country for florida state and i set the course record on it for the women but it only lasted that one year. The next year, someone else came and blew it out of the water. It's the only time I've <laughs> ever had a course record anywhere, and it didn't even last a full year. So sad to say. I'm trying to look it up and see if it's still around. <laughs> yeah, Dragon 18 miler. I, Dragon Tail 18 miler in Dragon Tail. Or, and I think it's D R A G G I N rather than dragon like physical creature. <laughs> 2022. Is it there? It is. There's a there's a race entry website thing for it. Eleven cool. eighteen. Well, maybe you can yes, send out a link to it or something. St. <laughs> Teresa's Catholic Church, Panama City. Cool. Oh, there we go. It's still yeah, it's still around. Still a thing. That's a low key race, which I know is like a lot of races in Florida. You've also done um, uh, Crimson. I did do Crimson. I loved Crimson. I can't um, give enough shout out for that event. And from what I hear, the other events that Andy Crum puts on, um, well organized, well marked, um, easy to navigate for somebody from out of town. Um, and my sister, Alicia Slick, who also runs ultras in Florida, um, she, she might've had a little to do with how easy it was for me to, to get there and get, find my way around. But yeah, fantastic event. Uh, I did, that was my, the only hundred K that I've done was at Kroom Zoom. So that was amazing. I would say that's even better than the dragon tail race. If I had to recommend one over the other, but they're, they're pretty different. So <laughs> maybe not comparable. Yeah, and that was, I think, 2020. How'd it go out there for y'all? Oh, my gosh. So um, so I live in Boise, Idaho, and I had flown into Tampa, I think, two days before the race. And I so the race was on a Saturday, and I was leaving at, like, 5 a.m. Sunday morning the following day. So <laughs> when we got there Saturday morning, I knew I was going to have to turn and burn, like, run this race. Um, get this 100K in and get to the airport, you know, <laughs> and basically five hours later, five, six hours later, which horrible planning on my part. I could definitely do better at the planning that happens around races. I'll fully acknowledge that. 
Um, but the race itself started out great. Uh, got through the first couple loops, no problem. And we had some pretty bad rain, I would say like torrential downpour rain. So a lot of the Floridians that were doing the race that year, um, they dropped and I was from Idaho. So a rainy, relatively warm day felt fine to me. I was like, yes, it's not in the 20s and I'm outside in January. Uh, so I was loving it. Uh, I had a great time <laughs> getting muddy and wet out there. Um, but when I got through my fifth, fifth lap, so 52 miles in, uh, I was totally done. I was ready to quit. And I told myself in my head, like, okay, I'm good. I have set myself a new 50 mile PR. I am ready to walk off this course. So I get in from the end of that fifth loop and Alicia and her other friend, Allie were there waiting for me and they had their vests on with the lights. And I got there and I told them like, I cannot do another loop out here in the dark. I'm too disoriented. It's not going to go well. I'm going to get lost. And they were like, no, you're not <laughs> keep moving. Don't sit down. We're going to go right now. And so we, Ended up walking the whole last 10-mile loop, uh, but they walked every step of the way with me. Um, and it, it was one of the most inspiring run events that I've ever done. Uh, they had also run their own ultra that day. They waited around for me um, to do that last loop together. And it was both emotional and inspiring to have them be willing to do that with me. Yeah, that's one of my... I love that area too. And mm -hmm. that was one, that was my first hundred K as well. Oh really? We were there at the same time. I think I was 2000, maybe 19 or so. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that, that crew Mary is nice, but I guess maybe I should hop back in some book questions, right? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. What is the book called? Uh, so the book is called, um, did anyone tell you this was going to be easy? You can find it on Amazon. Um, it's my, Author's name is Laurel Slick, which is actually my, my maiden name. Um, so L-A-U-R-E-L-S-L-Y-C-K. And there's paperback, hardback, um, and an ebook version. And the ebook is discounted through the next week. So if any of you are e-readers and would like an electronic copy of the book, um, at regular price for the ebook is $5.99, but um, through the next week, it's either $0.99 cents or $1.99, depending on when you log in. So um, get as many, <laughs> share it as widely as you can. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, available on Amazon for sale. So how did you come up with that title? Oh, that is another great question. So <laughs> the way I came up with the title, um, so as I mentioned earlier, I thought the book was going to be called The Thousand Mile Pregnancy, and that's what was going to be kind of the culminating event. Um, but when I went back through and was really thinking about the title and had it all together, I realized that that didn't fit the whole story. Um, so one of the other events in that book is when I gave birth to my first son um, and I had been able to run all throughout the pregnancy. Everything had gone really well. It was a super easy pregnancy. And I got to the hospital planning to have a natural birth and uh, needless to say, almost two days of labor later, I still <laughs> was not uh, having an easy natural birth. And 
um, had to have some interventions. And uh, when the doctor finally got there, because they use midwives for birthing in, in Germany, but when they finally had to call the doctor and he yelled at me, did anyone tell you this was going to be easy? <laughs> at, at the time, I was like, who is this jerk? Get out of here. Get this baby out of me and then get out of here. But as I've looked back on life since then, I've realized it's kind of that quintessential question, right? Like, no, no one told us this was going to be easy. But yet every time it gets hard, we it's also <laughs> we can go into this cave of like, why is this happening to me? Why am I having this string of things that seems to be weighing down on me or putting pressure on me? But there's no guarantee that it's easy. It's kind of <laughs> like running, right? Is we know there's the hard mixed in. And if we can accept that, that's the key that allows us to move forward. So thought that quote was the perfect title. And I hope that other people think so too, when they read it. Yeah, that's, that's wild that where the, where the quote came from. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, the Turkish doctor in the German hospital. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so what in life is easy and what do you consider in life hard and does trail running or cross country have any correlation to that type of you know working through it yeah i think it has a direct correlation um and i i feel like as runners we know that intuitively that the experiences we have in races especially in ultra races correlate exactly to the challenges and the whole scope of emotions that we experience in life. It's like this microcosm of life that happens every time we go out there and commit to a day on the trails that's 50 miles or more. And what we learn, I think, as runners that's unique from other sports or other any kind of thing that you can be committed or devoted to is that you have the power to take intentional forward steps. And as long as you can keep doing that, any sort of intentional forward motion, no matter how small it is, you're still moving away from whatever was the hardest part or whatever was back there on the trail or any, <laughs> anything that was back there that you want to stay back there. You have the power to move past it as long as you recognize your ability to do so. And sometimes that's really hard, but as runners, I think we get it in a different way than a lot of other people do. Yeah, I think it just takes a while to, to realize how much they overlap sometimes. But when we do, it's maybe, I don't know, I hope one of the secrets of life, <laughs> of long and long and happy life. And I don't know, for me, I think a lot about like, what if I, what if I couldn't run anymore? What if that is taken away from me? I've been running now um, about 30 years and you know, it's so integral to who I consider myself and the thing that's helped me get through so much. Um, but I think that just knowing that I can still move forward, even if it ends up not being running someday, if it moves to walking or biking or any kind of motion that I have the ability to do, I feel like the lessons I've learned from running will translate and that will still allow me to have that sense of personal power to, to persevere and keep going. So that's how I think about it. <laughs> but I can't imagine at this point, at least a life without that, without running. Yeah. Cause it kind of just kind of 
correlates to like finding your why and right. why you know yeah some of those things that you know people have reached out to you what mm-hmm. what are those kind of things that people are like wow you know i really i really related to this thing well a lot of times when they're giving me feedback they don't tell me what it is specifically that they related to but it's people who have very different lives from me um that are telling me they relate to parts and i think I kind of thought going into it that my story was unique and it was different from maybe somehow what other people experience in this life. And, you know, the abusive relationships or my disordered relationship to food or any of those things that I felt were like personal and really hard to write about the fact that I was able to be raw and vulnerable, vulnerable with it is I think what people relate to, even if they're at a totally different place in life. I've had a couple coworkers that read it that aren't runners at all and maybe have never married and don't have children. And to me seem to be at a completely polar opposite place in their lives. And they've come up to me and said, you know, I really can't believe how much I related to this. I'm like, I can't either. I don't even know what part you're talking about. Um, But I think it's more the fact that we all have hard stuff that we have to get through and reading about other people's hard stuff in a way that's really open and out there. That's the part that people are relating to. At least that's the feeling that I'm getting. Wow. That's great. Thanks. Well, hey, Laurel, I I appreciate this. This was great. I appreciate it too. So great to have a chance to talk to you. And um, I hope as many people read the book as, as can, and I'd be happy to chat with anyone about it. I'm happy to share my email address or contact information. You can follow me on social media as well. Um, But I'm really, every time I get a personal story about how this book has impacted somebody, um, it makes a big impact on me as well just to be able to hear that that it is having um some kind of effect and and people are able to relate to it so um please check out the book let me know what you think i'm happy to interact with anyone that would like to and um glad to hear from everyone and there we have it with laurel slick You know, it's been a while since I've really gotten hooked on a book. And this is one of those books that it really reels you in. There's a lot of relatable themes, hardships, and, you know, those personal matters that, honestly, a lot of us experience, but we may not necessarily put it out there publicly. So it's one of those things that, you know, you really do connect to it. And it's powerful. The central theme, of course, is running. It's fluent all the way through the book. That sense starts off in high school, into college, and all the way through life. And that's one of the powerful things for, for myself. Just as Laurel had her, her two high school coaches, that was something that really impacted me growing up as well. I had a guy named Mark Looney and an Olympic gold medalist, Bob Shule, growing up. And those two guys really built the foundation on my outlook, how I compete. And it's really just those building blocks to my life today. But yeah, there we have it for the special episode number one, author number one. Until next time, 
happy trails.